the Fail On Podcast, episode 013. Here's the first thing I would do is I would make a list of everybody you know who's had some sort of success in business or who's running a business or like who's an entrepreneur at some level. I would make a list of all of them and I would shoot them an email and I would have the email say something like this. Hey, I really want to get into business. I know you've been doing it for a while. I want to get into business by helping people who have painful problems. I want to solve something for you. So I'm wondering, can we talk for 30 minutes and I can just ask you questions about your business, about like what's working for you and what isn't and see if there's anything that I can help with. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes you are destined for more and that failing your way to an inspired life is the only way to get there. Today, we are sitting down with Andy Drish. He is an entrepreneur, a speaker, and co-founder of The Foundation. Andy helps people create the mindset and skills needed to equip new entrepreneurs with the tools to create software businesses without upfront risk and absolutely no business idea. His company, The Foundation, has been absolutely crushing it over the last five years, creating success stories and testimonials from students that have gone on to create eight-figure businesses. That's a big business. We'll be discussing the three different ways to elevate your network, how to completely eliminate risk when starting a new business, and Andy walks us through how he first made money in entrepreneurship and why the only thing that matters when you start is simply getting sales. But first, if you'd like to stay up to date on all the FailOn podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. Again, that's failon.com. So today I'm joined by Andy Drish, co-founder of The Foundation. Andy, welcome to the Fell On Podcast. Dude, thanks, man. Stoked to be here. We're sitting in a we're sitting in a hotel lobby right now. <laughs> it's, not, it's not even in a lobby. Boulder. We're like in the second floor of like I wouldn't even consider this a lobby. <laughs> yeah, it's totally. Like a hallway in the a foyer. hotel. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, thanks. This is actually I was telling you earlier, my wife and I's first time in Boulder, and I'm a mountain guy, so I'm I'm in heaven right now. I'm loving it. It's beautiful here. So just to jump into it, man, well, obviously I want to dig into your current ventures and the foundation in a bit, but what I always like to start with is going back to the first time that you remember that somebody actually gave you money in exchange for something that you created, like whether it be a product or service. Yeah. So there's, I think there's a couple of moments that really matter in an entrepreneur's life. And, and there's a handful of things for me when I was a kid, you know, I started mowing lawns. I mowed my grandma's lawn a lot, you know, every week and I got like 10 bucks a week or something. Iowa kid. Iowa farm. kid. Yeah, yeah. I grew up on a farm. I in can Iowa. imagine that's probably a big yard. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> you know it. And we used to, we used to, my friend had a, a mowing business. We used to get up before school and trim cemeteries like with weed eaters. It was terrible. I hated it. I hated every aspect of it, except hanging out with my friends, like doing work with your friends is okay. But, ugh. So that was one of the first times I started, we detasseled corn in Iowa, which is where you get up at 4.30 in the morning and drug through the cornfields on these machines and you have to pull tassels off of corn. But all of that was like, you know, it was pretty much like job style work. I just started working young. When I went to college, I started a bar in my dorm room and I sold fake IDs for a little bit. I was like smart enough to not make them good so that if we got in trouble, they, the cops would be like, well, what, are you kidding? Like, what is this? <laughs> but that didn't last very long. So in college, I had a handful of these experiences. But the, the moment that really mattered for me was when I was 22 years old. Graduated, I was working in corporate America. And one of the things I'd always wanted to do was, was get paid to speak. 
that was something that was really fascinating to me. And when I was 22, I started doing all these presentations in corporate America around what's happening with social media, how it's shifting the landscape for corporations and companies. And the Iowa Association of, of something, something really weird thing, I heard about the presentations and they asked me to do it. And they asked me how much I charged. And I was like, 500 bucks. And they're like, okay. And I got paid 500 bucks to go talk for three hours. And that was the moment where I was like, holy shit. It's a pretty long talk at three hours. Yeah, it was, was a whole it just workshop. Just you consistently through. Oh, so like it was a, it was a workshop it. style. So there's talk and then we had exercises and stuff. But it, at 22 years old to get paid 500 bucks for three hours of my time doing something that I absolutely loved doing, that was the key. Because all of the stuff in the past was like, I enjoyed it from time to time, but that was something that was really dialed with what so I wanted. That, that kind of changed your thought process to, okay, I can actually do this and make money and yeah. this could actually be something. It was just like, whoa, like you can... You know, growing up in, in Southeast Iowa, work was always hard. It was always construction. It was always manual labor. It was like a pain in the ass and I was making like 10 bucks an hour. To make 500 bucks for three hours doing something I loved was a complete game changer for me in terms of what's possible in reality. So what that leads you to, once you did that, where you're like, man, I want to do these workshops every day. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, I can actually do this. And I ended up starting a company where I would... I, did trainings for college students. So I partnered with professional business fraternities and I would speak at their regional and national conferences, teaching college kids how to land a job after college, how to do personal branding and how to start businesses. And I would speak at their regional and national conferences and then the students would invite me back to their campuses. And so I did a stint of that for a year, year and a half or something like that. And then it became not so enjoyable, like every weekend having to go fly out, go somewhere and you know, it, I was making better money than it was, you know, one to two grand for a talk, something like that. What kind of drove you to always want to speak? I don't know. So it's just always a thing since you were like a child? Or yeah, you just it was wanted fun. to be in front of people? That's just kind of your personality? You just want to be in front of people talking, explaining stuff? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And there was something that, that in college we taught a course on helping people with presentations because it was just something I think, I think if you want to influence people, it's a skill you have to have whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, like just sitting here like this, or whether it's one on a thousand people in front of an audience, like the more ability that you have to be, to communicate in front of people, the more influence and impact you can have with people. So hundred percent. So after, after you did that and going around to colleges and stuff, yeah. what was your next play after that? Well, it's so funny because I was doing multiple things at a time. So I, I was still working full-time in corporate America doing this. And so this was just like on, on weekends and stuff like, yeah, I'd fly off Wednesday afternoon, come back Sunday night. What were you doing in corporate America? What was your nine to five job? I was in a, I was in a leadership rotation program. So um, Fortune 500 company, big financial services and doing marketing. I was working in new media, marketing, technology, pretty much similar to what I'm doing now. Sure. Did you, did you actually enjoy that work or did you, were you just a guy that hated the nine to five, hated having to report to somebody? You know, I, I go back and forth. I had my up days and down days. I hated not having control of my life. I hated being surrounded by people who felt like they were dying inside. But some of the work was really interesting. We got to work with Shia Day, who's an ad agency who does all the campaigns for Pepsi, Apple, Visa, Gatorade. And they flew out the top 30 marketing executives in the company and me. Because I was like this young guy that knew under, understood social media. So I got some really amazing opportunities and got to learn some really cool stuff from the program that we we're in. But, but overall, it just so not. Sure. Not what I wanted. Yeah. Just you know? more, more the environment, less so the work. Yeah. I like the creative aspect. I like doing stuff that's new. You know, the thing that I hated the most, wearing khaki pants. <laughs> I hate getting dressed up. Like, 
Like it's it's little things like that that are just so draining. Yeah. Have you worn khaki pants since? No. Yeah. I don't, no. I don't my know. my fiance my fiance wants me to like get wear them and get pairs of khaki pants. I'm like, no, never. I will not do that. It's principle now, right? Jeans, baby. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, what did you go into after the college step? Yeah. So we launched a business teaching people how to do marketing on Etsy. I partnered with one of the more influential guys on Etsy. This is this is the first business I ever launched when we started doing like online stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, eventually I got really into online marketing, direct response, learning copywriting because I was trying all this other stuff and it just wasn't generating cash flow and I knew I had to I had to solve cash flow if I wanted to leave my job, right? If you're listening to this like you know what it's like if you're working 40 hours a week, you can't just no one's going to come save you. No one's going to give you money if you're working full-time in corporate America and you want to start something on the side. You have to figure something out. And on that piece, like people think about business ideas, but surprisingly enough, sometimes the last thing they think about is what do they need to do to actually generate those dollars to come in? Yeah. Right? They think yeah. about like the stuff that doesn't matter, the logo, like what's my brand going to be? Yes. Where dollars is all that matters if you have an objective to like leave your job. Yeah. If you want to leave your job, like your your whole focus is like how do I get to five grand a month as fast as possible? And when you when you get there, then, then you can like think a little yeah. bit bigger and stuff, right? But until then, like nothing matters except cash flow. And I, I still approach businesses that way. I think if, if, you're, if you're at that point, it is such an incredible muscle to develop your ability to be disciplined with what you pursue and what you don't pursue. If you go back and you're in the position like who we just spoke to, right? That, yeah. That's in the nine to five job and wants to do something else. What do you do going back to your situation where you were in it, but you didn't have, you didn't have those opportunities that, that were surrounded by you or yeah. that you were surrounded with at the time? How would you go about it now knowing everything that you know? What would be the quickest way to dollars for you in a nine-to-five job? In a nine-to-five job? You don't have the copywriting skills yet. You don't have any of the skills that you have now developed. Yeah. But you have the skills that you had back then. The skills that I have. Let me tell you how I did it back then, and then we can kind of go from there to see what it might be now. Back then, Clay Collins, who runs Lead Pages, if you guys listen to Lead Pages, he was doing information marketing stuff. He launched a product called Project Mojave. It was 100 bucks. I went down there in corporate America. There's a place where you can like, there's a place where you could access your personal email. So 15,000 employees, you had four computers where you could access your personal email. I went down there and I waited for 30 minutes before the product launched. And I, I paid him a hundred bucks and I was the first customer of his, this new product. Anyway, he taught me how to like find niches online and I found Etsy. And that was like the beginning. Six weeks later, we launched a membership website and it was generating six grand a month in revenue. What year was this? 2009. Etsy's super new now at that point, right? Yeah, it was. I looked in Google Trends and I was looking for words and there was a word that was like spiking like crazy and it was Etsy. And I was like, what the hell is Etsy? I've never heard of this word. And then I found that it was a marketplace and then I went in the forums in the marketplace and I said, if Etsy were a popularity contest, who would win? And I got all of this like flaming, like people were pissed. And then some people were like, be nice to him. He's just new to the community. (laughs) But everybody pointed to this one guy. And I found this one guy who had influence in the space. And I was like, hey, man, if you want to help, we can partner and I'll like do the marketing for you. And then and that's what we ended up doing. And that's when we launched a membership website. That's cool. So So, so I was 2009. So looking back, you would would you take kind of the same approach and for yeah, somebody if, listening? If, if, you, if you're listening right now, I would find an influential, like it's hard to say influential person. It doesn't necessarily have to be like Tim Ferriss is an influential person. It's like find somebody you know who has experience in business and who's been successful and hound them until they'll let you help them. Like, dude, I just want to help you. What can I help you with? And what's going to happen if you do this is if you find someone who's already been successful, they probably have an abundance of business ideas that they could that you could be working on for them. 
you get results for them. And if you get results for them, they're going to want to share that with a whole bunch of other people. So figure out somebody who's influential, figure out what their pain points are, figure out what they're struggling with, figure out how to help them with that, do that, and then repeat that a couple more times. And do it without kind of having an expectation of, I'm going to go do all this work for somebody. Yeah. And you got to come from a place where it's purely value add, right? Yeah. It's not like... I'm going to do this for you and you're going to give me this. Yeah. Right. I, I love that you're saying that. a big distinction there where people, you know, go after people to seek mentorship, go after, you know, even guys like Tim Ferriss, I'm sure <laughs> I can only imagine his inbox, but you have to do it from a place of like, like pure generosity. Service. Yeah, exactly. You're being in service to them. Like we've hired a bunch of people throughout the foundation and I love hiring young, passionate, talented people. Every single person who's worked under me for at least a year has went and started their own company afterwards. And they've normally done it through contacts that I have, either through introductions that we've introduced them to or like that's their next leap. And so you you learn a whole bunch of stuff, you generate value, you get cash flow, and it's just a natural progression. So I think that's the fastest way out if I were to start all over again. So looking back, that was kind of your entryway into the online space. Yeah. Along that journey, you obviously run the foundation now yeah. or co-founded the foundation. What's been the biggest struggle in terms of kind of your journey? In the business side, we'll go into, you know, overall kind of biggest struggles and failures as, you know, on the personal side, business side. But in this context, what's been the hardest part about getting to where you are now? Yeah. I interviewed 40 entrepreneurs in November and they were all bootstrapped. They were software entrepreneurs, Clay Collins, Jason Free, David Hauser, like a bunch of really badass people. And afterwards, I analyzed everything, all the answers, to figure out what are the top 10 principles for bootstrapping based off these 40 people. And the number one thing that came head and shoulders above everything else was one statement. When I saw it, it, it made me realize why I felt I had been off for the past couple of years. And the number one thing that I found that all bootstrapped entrepreneurs have in common that have been really, really successful is that they know exactly what they want and they never deviate from it. And... What do you mean? Just in terms of like vision and goal, like end goal with the, that they have? Or? Knowing what you want your life to look like and prioritizing that ahead of everything else. And I find that the entrepreneurs that do that, I have massive amounts of respect for because they're so disciplined to creating what it is that they want. And I think, I think one of the challenges I experienced with foundation is we took off pretty quickly and then we had all these ideas to do all these different things. And we started doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that and expanding the team and all of these different things. And we lost sight of what truly matters for a while. And what, what was that that truly mattered for you guys? Serving people, making an impact, and doing it in a way that, that I think we went down a rabbit hole of trying to build something bigger than we actually wanted to. We got kind of high off of the trajectory of everything. And we're like, we're going to build this like massively world-changing like thing. Yeah. You start to see traction, right? Things are going well. You're profitable. I think the natural tendency is to scale, right? Yeah, like you, totally. just, you just think this is working. We've got the formula. Totally. Let's just keep going. And we're amplifying, amplifying like crazy. Which is an interesting point because I think most people start off in business thinking about how to build this business, how to scale it without even considering the question that you just said is what do I want my life to look like? Why do I want to scale it? Exactly. Totally. It's an interesting paradox because most people don't look at that beforehand until they get too far down the rabbit hole to where they're like, oh crap, I don't, I actually don't want to build an empire and build a gigantic business with a hundred employees. Yeah. I'm happy having 10 employees and I'm happy living the life that I, that I do. Yeah. You know? And I think it's, I think it's really important because our culture is so easy to get sucked into the more, more, more mentality. And it, it happened to me, like I got so sucked into it and I eventually found myself like I did, 
you know, it was a month and a half of being on the road. It was like five masterminds and team retreat and thing to thing. And I ended up getting really sick and I went to, I went to urgent care and I, I had like had, it was day three of being sick and having a temperature. They checked my lungs for fluid and they had me take a deep breath in and I took a deep breath in and I passed out and I started vomiting on myself and like woke up you know, a few seconds later, whatever, however long it was. And it was, it was a moment where I was like, what is actually happening? And when, when I sat into it and like spent some time to reflect and stuff, I got really in touch with just like this inner sense of emptiness of like, no matter how much we would achieve or do, I just felt fuck like, I can't swear. No, you I, can swear. I can swear. <laughs> I felt fucking drained and empty. And like, I was trying to achieve out of insecurity and out of all of this, like wanting to prove something that I didn't even know was happening. So, so going back to the question, it's like, knowing exactly what you want and not deviating from that as an entrepreneur, I think is so, so important. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think sometimes it's hard for people at the beginning, maybe it's their first business. It's hard to like look past just cause when you're just starting a business, you just want to yeah, make money, right? Totally. You just want to like get out of your job. So it's hard to, so I think, I think a good way to do it is, you know, once you start getting some traction before you consider scaling, then consider the question of what do I actually want? Totally. And I think questions matter at like different stages, right? So the stage that you're in right now, if you're just getting started, it's like you, you don't you don't give two shits about that piece. It's like you you know exactly what you want. So here's the deal. If you're you know what you want right now, if you want to quit your job, if you're working in corporate America, you know the goal is like five grand a month, ten grand a month. It gets dangerous when you achieve it. Then when you achieve it, that's when. That's when it's like, what else? And what happens next? So, yeah, if you're if you're at that stage right now, you know what you want, and I would just say stick to that and just stick to that with immense discipline. And I can relate because we talked a little bit about my former business with the media buying, yeah, the CPA stuff. So, pretty similar to I imagine a lot of people's journeys in terms of when I was just leaving my nine to five job, I was just like my only only thing I wanted was the money to do that to yep. support myself without a job. That was always my dream to have the time freedom to do what I want. And then once I got that, then it was the same thing you did. How do we scale this as hard as we can? <laughs> because we found a formula that works. Yes. So did that. And for me, it was, I think I found myself in a similar place to you where, well, in, in my case, it was more of a business that wasn't fulfilling to me. Yeah. It wasn't making an impact. So I kind of shifted from, you know, that first business was very financial, transactional focused and money driven. Yeah. To be honest, I was to be completely transparent, chasing money, which is obviously a bad thing to do. You know, I was able to catch it for a second, but at the same time, it was like, man, imagine if I was spending these past three years building something that like was impactful and fulfilling to me. It matters. It matters. And that's like, so I think, like you said, there's different stages for everybody. And that was my stage. It was very financial driven. Now it's like, okay, now I want to help inspire people to actually, you know, embrace failure, take action, get off their butts and actually do stuff. Cause that's where the magic happens. That's where it happened for me was like Phil McKern. I told you I was going to go see him today. Yeah. Like in the absence of clarity, take action. Yep. Right. Totally. Just, just go start doing something. And you know, Jason, who we also talked about says can't steer a parked car. So once you get moving, stuff opens up, opportunities come. So it's so true. I, I love that you have that perspective on, you know, different, different steps of the journey. You have different focuses, right? Yeah. Like nobody starts off with a grand vision of creating the most fulfilling, impactful business in the world, but also making a ton of money. And totally. And I think it's, I think it's so important, like who you're taking advice from is speaking to where you're at in the journey. Because, you know, if if you're taking advice from somebody running a $10 million company, they're going to give you very different advice than somebody who's been there and like bootstrap stuff from 
the ground up. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I like what you said in terms of going back a little bit, reaching out to people, just in terms of advice, reaching out to people that have done what you want to do. Like your advice in terms of if you're in a nine to five job, you know, find somebody that has some business experience that you can partner with. One thing that that also does kind of a byproduct of it is you're almost elevating your network, right? Oh yeah. Because you're start you're starting to spend more time with that guy and that guy's network's a level above yours. And then from there it's like, you know, you're just consistently going up. In your journey, how have you surrounded yourself by by people that are doing better than you? Yeah, I obsessed with this early on. My first mentor, my first mentor when I was 18 years old, he was the dean of our business school and he said he just pounded into my head, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And and I took that real seriously. So guys like I I grew up on a farm in Iowa. Like we have no connections to business. I spent 18 years, I hardly left the Midwest. Like going to Des Moines, Iowa for college was like the biggest city in the world. Like I might as well have been in New York city because it was so, you know, they had stoplights and taxi cabs. Like that is like, that is how sheltered I was growing up, you know? And the internet's like flatlined everything. So I've consistently been, been reaching out to mentors and like helping people where I can. So, you know, the first the first mentor is the dean of the business school. The second one was Adam Carroll. He ran a, a professional speaking business. He taught college students how to do this stuff. He was the one that got me into doing the speaking thing. And from there, it's just been like a consistent, you know, somebody introduces me to this person who expands and so on and so forth to getting, we've just got, I feel very, very blessed with the crew of people that we're connected to now. It's, it's really amazing. For the person listening that maybe doesn't have that network that they want, but they're they're open to starting to elevate that, what's, what's a good first step in terms of, you know, kind of taking an inventory of who you're surrounding yourself with now and also looking at like what you want to do and what you want to achieve? Yep. One, figure out who you want to cut. I mean, it sounds harsh, but I think it's true. You got to create space if you want to, we have limited amounts of time. So who look at who's in your life and like in five years, do you see them being in your life still with the trajectory you're on? And if not, like it's time to do something there. Second, there's some options. If you want to, if you want to build a network options, one is to pay for it, go to events, go join communities, do something there. Second option is to create it yourself where when I moved to Boulder, I didn't know anyone in Boulder. So I started hosting a mastermind for online marketing people in Boulder that got me connected to a lot of the people that I'm really friends with now. Third option is exactly what I did with Clay. So I told you I joined Clay's course. I ended up launching a course and blah, 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 like having a, becoming one of his star testimonials and case studies. So if you want to get in with somebody who you really admire and like buy their product, go through the stuff, get results with it and tell them about the results. And it's like the immediate fast track to like them wanting to hang out with you. Right. Because they made a difference in that person's life. And one, that's what it's all about, right? Like, totally. like you said, it's impactful film. So if you can help somebody start a business and actually change somebody's life, is there, I mean, no dollar amount can put a, you can't put a price tag on that. Totally. And it, it like, it gives them more proof of like what they're teaching works and more validation and more like, so I think those three ways, you want to pay for it. That's one option, create it or find a way to work with somebody who's teaching and get results for them. Love it. So being the fail on podcast, how would you define failure? We have a mantra in the foundation. It's like, there's no failure. There's only progress. So that one really encompasses it. I think, I think failure happens when you stop. You give it up. Or don't start. Or don't start. Yeah. I mean, that that's really like the, the core of it. I think people often think of failure as what happens when reality doesn't match expectations. They set a goal. They have expectations for the goal. Reality doesn't match it. So they assume that there's failure at some level, but 
So just lower your expectations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you want to you wanna never fail again? Don't expect anything out of life. Just <laughs> one approach. <laughs> so let's go to the foundation a little bit. Yeah. You've started that, what, 2012? Yeah, it was 2000. Dane did the first version in 2011, and then we launched Foundation in 2012. Got it. So tell us what it is, how it makes money, what's the team size right now, and what what are you looking to do in the future? Yeah. Foundation helps people start and scale software businesses from scratch. We focus on scrappy, bootstrapped, hustling entrepreneurs. The funny thing is we teach software, but software is really hard to get into, especially if you're a first-time entrepreneur. So we've had all sorts of other businesses come out of it. Chandler Bolt with a self-publishing school. He dropped out of college, built a seven-figure business. Cat and Allen with the self-journal. They just won Shopify, built a business competition. Carl Mattiola quit Tesla, Sam Ovens with consulting. Like it's just like the list goes on and on of stuff that's like outside of it. So what we really specialize and focus on and put a lot of attention on is teaching people the mindset around bootstrapping as an entrepreneur and why the psychology piece matters so much. And then two, we teach really heavily the direct response marketing, validation and sales. So if you have to prioritize cash flow first, how do you go about starting a business that way? And that's where we focus our time and energy. And just to touch on both those pieces for somebody listening, like on the mindset piece, what's the biggest hurdle for most aspiring entrepreneurs that are first time getting into it? The biggest hurdle I experience with first time entrepreneurs is the emotional ride that entrepreneurship is. And because they're not as aware of their emotions, they become controlled by them and their emotions dictate their actions. And so, you know, we, we talk a lot about like limiting beliefs and what's empowering, what's limiting, how is that affecting people? And so when it comes to the topic of failure or fear that people have, people may be paralyzed by fear, but they may not know that they're actually experiencing fear. And when they're not aware that they're experiencing fear, they'll procrastinate and they'll put stuff off and they'll find ways to do other things as opposed to just actually feeling the feel that's there and allowing it to be okay and knowing that it's actually natural and part of the progression of entrepreneurship and taking action anyway, like we talked about. That's what I think the biggest hurdle is for people that are getting started. So I've talked to a lot of people about this actually. And one thing that's come up recently is, and not necessarily in this context in terms of like leaning into the fear of failure, but it's actually like internalizing and being okay. Like when people go through really tough times, like I talked to two people in a row about this, Nicholas Kuzmich, I don't know if you know. Him. Yeah, that's guy. I don't know him, but I've heard of him. Great guy. Being okay, like feeling it. Yeah. Not trying to push past it so much, but actually just internalizing and be like, okay, this is pain. This, this hurts. This sucks, but I feel it. And I'm going to be okay with it. So I think it's the same thing with fear of totally. being like, okay, I feel what I feel right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to internalize it. I'm going to be okay with it. Yeah. I'm not just going to try to like run from it. Yeah. Yeah. Being with it and not running from it. And I think this is actually the key to making faster results for people because we've talked about this idea of, okay, there, there is no failure, right? There's only progress, but that's kind of a limited way of putting it because if you set a goal and you don't hit the goal and you just say, oh, well, there's no failure. There's only progress. But you don't take the time to actually feel the sadness, the grief, the frustration. It's actually those negative emotions that will propel you forward into the next experience. So with this Etsy business, I launched this Etsy business in six weeks. We're generating six grand a month in revenue. I was making 50 grand a a year at the time. It was a lot of money for me. And all of a sudden, quitting became really real. Six months later, we ended up shutting the site down. We didn't know what to do moving forward. We just couldn't keep people coming in the door. And it was this huge, like unconscious self-sabotage thing that was happening. It was an upper limit thing. I got so close to my goal and then I freaked out because it was going to be real. 
so I had the experience of like, just imagine guys, I was two years into corporate America. At this point, I thought that I was going to be like running my own business, doing my own thing. I had all the excitement and expectations of launching this thing so fast. And then it all came crumbling down. And a year later, I felt like I was farther behind than I was a year before in my life. Feeling like the experience and the terror of like feeling like I would never get out of corporate America. And it was actually feeling all of those feelings that allowed me to move into the next thing with a different level of like power, excitement, and tenacity moving forward to it. I like that. How do you how do you prevent that from happening? The whole because it's it's a common theme with a lot of people I talk to is the self sabotage thing, where you're like you said you're starting to hit your upper limit, which you what you thought was possible, right? And then you're like, oh crap. Yeah. And then you just start doing stuff to yeah. <laughs> subconsciously to like completely I, I, I unconsciously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you, for somebody that gets to that point, how do you prevent that from happening? Yeah. Is there a way or do you have to go through it? You know, I think you have to go through it at least once. I think it is scary though. And I think it, I think it continually happens. I think you continually bump up against it as we're continuing to grow whatever it is next. I think the moment that you start experiencing thoughts or feelings of like, it can't be this good. It can't be this easy. Those are kind of like data points. And the moment where... You know, I think it's been a challenge for me just growing up in a small town, Iowa, working so hard, imagining work always had to be hard. And if it's not hard, then something's weird. Something's wrong. It can't be. Oh, totally. That makes sense. Because you're used to associating a dollar with like sweat. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Calloused hands. Totally. Calloused hands. <laughs> yeah. So if, if it becomes easy, then then unconsciously, I think that something is bad or something is wrong. So so I want to get to the end of the foundation. The second point you mentioned was how to kind of eliminate risk in terms of starting a new project, whether it be software or whatever it was. How do you, whether you're for yourself and your own ventures or for your students, how do you assess risk in terms of whether or not you should pursue a project or venture? How to assess risk. The fastest and the best way that I've ever figured out how to assess risk is to pre-sell whatever it is that you're trying to build. And this can be done, you know, you watch this with Kickstarters blown up over the past few years. What is it? It's pre-selling. It's helping people remove the risk of entrepreneurship. Colleges, they pre-sell their classes every year. It's like people think of pre-selling as kind of a foreign thing if they hear about it for the first time. But I think that's the fastest way. So if you have a business idea, whether it is a software product or Amazon product. Yeah, let's go or, through like an actual hypothetical here. If yeah, you don't mind. Let's go through, let's go through an hour. Say you have an idea for a software product. So the first question is, who's going to buy it? Who's going to be your first customer? Usually it's somebody, a friend, a friend or a family member or like someone in your contact database. First thing I would do is I would mock up the designs. What's the designs going to look like? And I would put them into... Is this an app or is it an actual like what desktop app? What do you want to do? Let's go, let's go mobile app. Okay, let's go mobile app. So, so here's the deal. If, if you guys are starting with business stuff, it always comes down to like, what is the pain that your product's going to solve? All right. So let's use choose Carl, for example. Carl is a foundation student. He built Clinic Metrics. It's a dashboard app for physical therapists. So the problem that they had was that they didn't know all of their numbers in their business. It was like mixed out through a whole bunch of different Excel spreadsheets and then they weren't updated. And da, 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 da. So he mocked up a design of what one would look like and went to a physical therapist and said, hey, would you be interested in buying something like this? And then they're going to say yes or no. And if they say yes, great. If they say no, then you start going down the rabbit hole. Why? What is it? Does it not solve the problem? Is the design shitty? Is it? Is there other things that you're wanting? And you let them guide you. And this, again, this is this is all done with just basic designs of something. So you're not actually building Spending anything. a lot of money. Yeah. You're not building the software. Totally. So is the biggest, because I imagine getting 
first-time entrepreneurs to go out and do this stuff. The hardest part is getting them to go out and do the stuff, I would imagine, yeah, right? Totally. Because it's not the actual execution of, you know, coming up with an idea and going to, like, figuring out what that solution needs to be. It's more of, like we talked about, the mindset shift of you have to go out and do stuff that's uncomfortable. You have yeah. to go talk to people. Yeah. You have to go in person and, like, show something that, you know, show a mock-up. That, that's terrifying to a lot of people. Totally. Is that the biggest challenge in terms of getting to the students you work with? You know, I think the biggest fear for people in the beginning is fear of rejection and fear of selling. I experimented this year. I wanted to experiment with doing a couple deep dives with people and bringing people for a day and working with them for a day and seeing what happens. And so I brought a developer came here to Boulder. We actually did it just a block from here. His biggest fear was fear of selling. And so we spent a, a lot of the first morning like doing like the deeper psychological work on it. And then in the afternoon, I gave him a challenge. And the challenge was to make 10 bucks or something like that, selling jokes. And so, so what we ended up doing is we wrote, we took a big sheet of paper and we said, Boulder's a very liberal town. So we put Donald Trump jokes, $1. <laughs> Donald Trump jokes, $1. That's great. And it was, it was like, it was a reminder of how powerful copy is because no joking, we got a block away and we're just walking this sign and we're like, we literally have two people who are in a building. They knock on the window and they see our sign and they're like, come here. And they gave him a dollar, which was really kind of annoying because we were trying to get him over his fear of selling and he just had good copy. So he didn't have to sell as much. So then, then we eventually shifted into doing something a little more meaningful, but it was just a fascinating experience of like, okay, you want to get over your fear of selling or your fear of rejection? Try something like that. Walk around with, go to, I think street entertainers are the most fascinating people to watch because from nothing, they're building a whole show and then getting cash for it at the end. And getting, getting the audience, building the uh -huh, demand, like the it's, demand, it's the momentum. Really impressive it's actually what really they do. Cool. I don't think people give them the credit, huh? Oh my God. It's amazing. So yeah, fear of rejection, fear of fear of selling. Like those are the first two to get over it. And the, the fastest way to get over it, the only way to get over it that I found is to just do it. Like get on the phone, call people, cold email them, like whatever you got to do. So on this note, the whole idea of this project of Fail On is to push people into action and getting outside your comfort zone, which is a huge theme of what, you, of what you're talking about. So what's, when's the last time that you actually got outside your comfort zone? What, what were you doing? Whether it's a small thing or a big thing, it doesn't matter. Yeah, this weekend... This weekend we did, uh, I've been getting it. I told you I've been getting into the man stuff four times in the past two years. He, been, he means building man skills, not like going after men. <laughs> <I've been getting laughs> the man stuff. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, just, just to clear that up. We were just talking about this. And so four times in the past year, I've been first on the scene of an accident and I've had to call 911. And for four times I've had the experience of being first there, calling 911 and not knowing what to do and feeling completely helpless. And like, an idiot waiting for like smart people to show up to do stuff. It was really not enjoyable. So this weekend I did a, I did a training to learn the basics of medical stuff. And it was like gross. They showed like, it was just, it was intense. So, so that was, that was one thing recently. We just tried a bunch of like tests with paid traffic within the foundation. That's another thing. I think what's really interesting for me is what is the thing that I've been putting off that I should be doing that I'm talking to you right now that I'm like, huh, and if you're listening to this right now, I want you to think about like, what is the one thing that you, you know secretly that you should probably do, but you've been afraid to do? We all have it. We all have it. I know what mine is. It's, do it's, you? It's to go speak in front of people. Go speak in front yeah. of people? Like it's always been a big, like I'm the opposite of you. Yeah. Like I haven't always wanted to do that. I've always never wanted to do that. Yeah. That's what tells me I need to go do that. You should go do it. Exactly. Mine is to go sing a karaoke song sober. 
<laughs> do you know how terrifying that is yes, to me? Yes, I do. It's like, ah, uh, <laughs> sober. God. Uh, so, so that's what's alive for me. Do you want to commit to it? Are you getting that feeling in your stomach right yeah, now? Yeah, I'm totally getting that feeling in my stomach. Shit. Do you want to put a date on it? Yeah, I do. I will. Let's hear it. Let's put the date on it right now. God damn it. And we got to get this. We got to get this on film too. We got to get this on film. So I can post okay, it. If I, if I do this, I'm going, okay. Okay, guys. Like, here's the deal. Here's the deal. When's this going to air? Do you know? I don't know. It, it's flexible. It's flexible. Okay. I'm going to put a date of, say, June 1st. Okay. God damn it. <laughs> it's real now. June 1st. Here's the deal. I want, here's what's going to make this real. Okay, great. This, is, this actually works. Here's what's going to make this real. I will do this. The one thing that seals this deal in is that I want at least one person in the audience to email me and tell me what they're going to do. So don't let the whole bystander effect where you think that everybody else is going to email in and then nobody actually <laughs> right, does. Right. So if you want to do this and then, I'll, and then I'll put a video of it. Oh God. I don't know if I'll put a video of it, but, but I will at least put photos or something. So if you email me, andy at the foundation.com, well, one of you just has to email me. That's it. And if you email me and commit to what you're going to do, it seals me in for June 1st. What about you? <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> I was just waiting on that. No, I'll do something by June 1st. What are you going to do? Talk in front of people, I guess. How many? I got to figure out how to get in front of these people first. Mm-hmm. Let's say, dude, baby steps for me. Let's say 15. Okay. Just a small step. Great. But still, I, I, mean, I got that feeling too right now. Great. <laughs> I love it. All right, Don. We just went there. God damn. I know. I know. So? So, that's done. That's done. So, okay. So, we've done them for each other, and obviously, we'll have somebody We'll have somebody email in. Yep. For everybody else, though, what's, if you had to lay out a challenge for people, what's one thing that they could do even today, mm-hmm. listening to this, what's a challenge that you would lay out there for them that will slightly get them outside their comfort zone just to start growing that muscle a little bit. Oh no, this is it. That's the only one. Like, cause here's the deal. I could give you, I could give you a, a thousand things that I should yeah. be doing that are like little right now. It will move the needle a fraction of what you actually want. So if you, if, you, if you're thinking of something, if you, when I, we were talking about this and we were doing this little exercise and you thought of something, that's the thing that you need to do. And whether that is like, you need to text somebody and like complete a relationship or you need to like tell somebody that, Hey, if, if I don't do this by this date, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Like whatever it is, is you need to commit to like a baby step with that one thing. After you're done listening to this, write it down immediately and make it real. Yeah, totally. And then email me. So I know what it is and I can actually hold you accountable to it. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about accountability. All right. So, so for somebody listening that maybe wants to, you know, maybe that not in their stomach is they want to start a business or they want to get out of their nine to five job, replace their income. And they came to you and was like, I don't know. I don't have a business idea. I don't know where to get started. What's, and I know you deal with this a lot. What's one directive or like, that's a step one. Here's the first thing I would do is I would make a list of everybody you know, who's had some sort of success in business or who's running a business or like who's an entrepreneur at some level. I would make a list of all of them and I would shoot them an email and I would have the email say something like this. Hey, I really want to get into business. I know you've been doing it for a while. I want to get into business by helping people who have painful problems. I want to solve something for you. So I'm wondering, can we talk for 30 minutes and I can just ask you questions about your business, about like what's working for you and what isn't and see if there's anything that I can help with. And I would send that to everybody that you know, and I would set up as many calls as you possibly can. And on those calls, I would set the calls up so that 
it is designed so that you're figuring out where they have pain points that you can help them solve, whether that's an operations thing or it's a marketing thing or whatever it is, and eventually try and find one problem that you can solve over and over for the same group of people. Do you guys typically teach and, and like to look at external problems or do you or do you sometimes look at internal problems like pro- solving a problem that you have for yourself or a frustration or a need that you have for yourself or do you think it's better to look at externally? Here's how I think about that is that if you're just getting started in business and you don't have that, the problem is everybody always like was like, you know, solve the problems you have. When I was 21 years old, I didn't have any problems <laughs> except that I didn't have enough money to drink on the weekends. Right. It's like, that so that was my problem. So, so it didn't work for me as much. As I get farther into business, it makes more sense for you like, see more issues. I, yeah, you get a bigger, broader understanding of the landscape. If you're 45 years old and you're listening to this, you should definitely consider solving a problem that you have because you've, you've got the experience to do it. Jason Fried preaches solve the problems that you have. He did that after he had a successful web design agency that was doing all of this stuff. So if you're just getting started in business, I think that's the way to start is figure out what other people' problems are. And it forces you to kind of grow the, and shift the mindset of, okay, like, I have to go talk to people. I've got, to, I've got to get some balls and actually go do stuff and get outside my own comfort zone. Yeah, and it's, it's, the best way to start is with friends and family and contacts because it's easier, you know? And then you can move on to cold emails and, and doing all of that. But yeah, I think it's the best way. Who's had the single most profound impact on your life? Looking back, that you, makes you say to yourself, I literally might not be sitting here if they weren't in my life. Well, I mean, parents are the default answer that are obvious and like, thank God for them. My, my dad, when he was six, when I was 16 years old, I went to work with him doing the construction stuff. And he was like, Andy, I'm going to teach you how to run a shovel this summer. So you learn that you don't want to spend the rest of your life doing this because they have a family construction business. And like, that's literally what I would be destined to do if I didn't start actually caring about education. So that was like a really significant inflection point. And then I told you, I got really sick a couple years ago and I, I read this book, Nature and the Human Soul. If you're going through any sort of major life transition right now, this is the best book that I've ever found. This is the gift that I've, the book that I've gifted the most out of all books in my life. And it talks about like the evolution of humans and how we're supposed to evolve into, for us as like manhood, what does manhood look like? And I ended up putting my life on hold for two months. And I worked with this man in Bali named David Cates. And we did two to three hours a day of breath work and body work. And it was, it was one of the most significant, like impactful experiences my life and we still see each other every quarter or so he's been a guide for me what was the biggest takeaway from it like what what changed fundamentally in your life from it you know i told you i felt like i felt like i went through a phase of trying to build businesses to like prove something or to like fill some sort of insecurity i feel like i don't build businesses for that reason anymore and that feels really relieving so what are you most excited about now you obviously have the foundation going on any other ventures that you're excited about or anything personally yeah, getting in man stuff. So I've been, I took a survival course. Like, okay, just, just, just to clarify again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, seriously, I think learning to like survival skills has been really cool. Learning medical skills has been really cool. This idea of do you want to be an asset to society or a liability to society? And not just like in a business standpoint, but like understanding the basics of human living. And then the other thing that's really fascinating, I've been working with a couple people that are like low to mid six figure businesses to help them scale beyond into like mid seven figures. And I'm having a lot of fun with that. And then do do you like that? Just out of curiosity, do you prefer taking that kind of a business that has the foundation versus something from complete scratch? Yeah. I mean, here's, here's the deal. If you're listening and you guys come through the foundation, it would, it takes a little while to get like the basics. There's just a lot to teach and learn. It's like drinking out of a fire hose. 
one of the companies we've been working together two months now, within three to four months, he's like, you know, low to mid six figures, will have doubled his entire business within three to four months of working together and cut his hours back. And and what do you you're diving into that business. What are you what are the like what are you looking at? What are you looking to change? Yeah, I think I think for entrepreneurs there's like two realms. Like if you look at a Venn diagram, on the left side you have strategies and tactics, which is like hardcore, like what is the stuff that actually works? And on, on the other side you have presence and beingness and how are you showing up in the world. And I think the sweet spot is where you start playing in the middle where they overlap. And I think when you can do that, that's where results really take off for people. So all that and then the last thing I'm super fucking stoked about is AI. And what's happening in the AI space, it's wild. And I think it's going to completely be a game changer over the next 24 months. What part of AI? I'm talking with a company now. They're a 90-person software company. And they have 50 or 60 employees that are, that are customer support focused. And they get tens of thousands of requests every single month. And over half of those requests are, are basic mundane requests that any smart robot could answer. But it's like really complex to be able to build the robot to do that. But if we can, it is a two to four million dollar problem that they experience, and it's just, it's really it's a really fascinating space. So that's what I'm kind of exploring right now. And what are your thoughts on so fifty to sixty people handing customer support calls? So those people are out of jobs once those once those robots are built. No, I don't think so. You think it's going to be a like a like a complementary type role? It allows them to do higher level strategic things. So what will happen is that there's different tiers for the company. They'll actually have an opportunity to sell a higher tier where they can sell strategy along with stuff. Nobody, I mean, here's the deal. Yeah, they're out of jobs. There's nobody that I know that's like, oh man, I can't wait to wake up today and tell people how to reset their account or like process refunds, you know? It's like we're freeing people to create more cool stuff in the world. And I think what happens is like when you have a gap like that and all of this stuff gets replaced, it creates a massive opening for more creativity and more things to be innovated on. And I, I don't think those jobs will be lost. I think they'll, from talking with them, they'll actually apply them to, to doing higher level stuff. And I think their staff will be more excited by it. More engaged, yeah. Yeah. Dude, thanks for the time. Dude, thank you, man. Next time. See ya. All right, so you can find Andy at andydrish.com. He's at andydrish on Twitter. That's at andydrish. And, of course, all the links and resources Andy and I discussed, including more information on his company, The Foundation, can be found at the page created especially for this episode. That's at phalon.com slash 013. And keep an eye out for the next episode. We'll be sitting down with Ree Perez. He's the founder of Branding for the People. He's a world-class branding expert and shares his struggles transitioning from the corporate world to starting his own company. It's an amazing episode. He's a great guy. You do not want to miss it. As I continue to build this project out with the simple goal of getting people to once and for all decide that they're going to fail their way to creating an inspired life. If you could do one thing to support the cause, I'd be super grateful. When you click the subscribe button and leave a rating and quick review, this simply allows the podcast to be visible to more people. To rate and review the podcast, just go to failon.com iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.